Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. And so the annual conversation between Catherine Whitaker and myself inside the O2 Arena as the place is dismantled around our ears. There is blue and white confetti all over the court in front of us where Stefano Tsitsipas and Dominic Team have just knocked ten bells out of each other for the last three hours. It's the annual race against time to get a podcast done before the drilling starts. Yes, it, uh, that's right. All right. Let's hurry up. Um, it, it's just... And before people come along and start saying you can't be here without a hard hat on. <laughs> I've already had my badge checked about four times <laughs> to make sure I'm not some interloper. Um, it's been some afternoon and evening, hasn't it? We'll be talking to Matt Roberts, by the way, a little bit later. He's, uh, he's in Madrid, safely arrived. I've got a, had a cracking chat with him already, which you'll hear in a little while. Um, but here inside the O2 Arena, we'll, we'll concentrate on first before we move on to the Davis Cup finals. That match was everything we hoped it would be. Stefano Tsitsipas won it in a final set tiebreak. It couldn't have been more perfect. No, the most the most fitting end to the season and the week and oh yeah, it's just um, really really special what happened today. Yeah. I think. I mean the the quality of the match was unreal, unreal. It was it was just so big time. Yeah, all of it was just big time. Dominic Team was big time. Sit to pass was big time. <sighs> so how yeah. did he, how, did, how did he win it then? Because one of those blokes has to win. Sitsipas won it. We thought he would win it last night. And I'm not saying that to gloat. I've done, I've done my fair share of that. Uh, but it's more that that kind of happened exactly as I thought it would. Mm. He, he hit through the tension, didn't he? He was able to hit through it. Um, and the team was trying to hit through it in that tie break. A couple of forehand misses, I think. Where he was trying to just hit out and swing freely, but his arm, his arm wouldn't let him. You could feel how leaden his arm was. Um, maybe it was just suerte, but I don't think it was, because pretty much everybody that I was watching that tiebreak with just had a feeling it was going to go sit to pass his way. So, yeah. I mean, obviously there is a very real world in which we were all wrong, but it just doesn't doesn't feel like luck, does it? No. Well, the fact that he made us feel as though he was going to win, the, that says something about him. 
the, mm. what, the, the, the vibes he transmits, what he gives off. It was the same when he played Federer at the Australian Open. Even though those break points were coming and going, I always thought he was going to win it. He's just so solid now. Yeah. He's, he's just, you just don't, you don't think he's going to miss. Usually when someone's that kind of explosive and I guess, I guess a bit more so with single-handers than, than double-handers, um, I don't know if the stats would bear that out, but I always just think they're, although they're more spectacular, they're more, they're more frail, single-handed backhands. Um, I, <laughs> you always think that kind of game, it, it's, there's a, there's sort of naturally a frailty to it, but he somehow has all of the, all of the explosiveness and the firepower and the weaponry, but with this solidity. Yeah, that, that's a good word for it. And he, he had that at the Australian Open, where he he's ripping through these backhands, but there's a natural cover and natural spin on those balls that just gives them an, an arc and a margin for error, which team doesn't have. Team has incredible timing, which allows him to hit flatter strokes, it seems, that go through the air quicker, but which can go off, you know. And my assessment of what we've watched and the reasons for it are that the result is the product of Sitsipas pretty much putting in a 9 out of 10 performance all the way through. Sitsipas put in an 8 to 8.5 performance most of the time, and occasionally a 9.5 that got him really close. So he just, he, he wobbles a little more, his levels undulate a little more, and Sitsipas's don't. I mean, I know, he, I know he had some moments, but I, I kind of have faith in his game. Mm. Yeah, me too. more than I should have in, a, in, a, in any 21-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> he, he couldn't be more of a contradiction, could he, in some ways, of the way he hits the tennis ball that this consistency he has and the, the the I don't know he's just he's just a warrior out there and then yeah, you, I mean he literally had blood dribbling down his leg at the end of the match he loves it he was he was bleeding from the effort of it all I think the blood was from a just completely classically on brand sit to pass dramatic fall that he took um, at the baseline I think midway through the deciding set which he made look far more dramatic than it needed to um, but yeah it made for um, a very uh, um, poetic image yeah. at the conclusion of the match I mean those shots of the two players sat on sat on the bench at the end, at the end of the match sort of waiting for the ceremony to commence and actually they both actually had extremely similar expressions on their faces but obviously knowing what we knew Sitsipas's was just disbelief I think and, and teams was despair yeah, yeah. and <laughs> had the result gone differently how how despairing would Sitsipas be right now <laughs> what levels of despair would we be discussing um, I'm glad we don't have to don't wish to alarm anybody here particularly you Catherine but right behind you are several people in high-vis jackets and hard hats. Oh, no, it's as, happening. And uh, it really is happening. things are about to get taken apart around our ears. However, uh, we'll press on. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, was, it was a heck of an atmosphere inside this stadium tonight, Oof. wasn't it? I mean, that is one of the... F- I, I know I, c- I could end up doing the old recency bias thing here, but I just feel all the way through this week, and particularly today, that we have seen the two players that are going to take this on for the next few years. It doesn't mean they're going to 
take over and dismiss those big three and that nobody else is going to get a look in. But these two are good enough. These two are mentally and physically and tennis-wise good enough to, to continually compete now at the highest level. And the crowd in here reacted to them like they should to Grand Slam champions. It was... They, they're, they're comfortable in this. They, they can own this. They can take, take up the mantle. It was... It was pretty glorious feeling the crowd build over the course of the match, wasn't mm. it? And um, in the first set, the crowd were with team. You commented on that when we were watching in the Prime Studio, and, and I couldn't quite account for that, not because team doesn't have supporters, but A, I expected, even if it were equal, I'd expect it to sound like Sitsipas had more support just because his fans are more vocal, Greek fans are very, very vocal. Um, but I also expected generally neutrals to go with Sitsipas. Um, but the crowd, team definitely had the crowd in the first set. And I wondered if maybe that was because they considered him the underdog, um, which is interesting. And then the fact that I think by the end, I mean, there was a, there was a general appreciation for everything that they were seeing. But the crowd will be Sitsipas. Those chants of Sitsipas, Sitsipas going round this arena which was completely full that was great completely wasn't it? Completely full. 17 and a half thousand people it, it it made me shudder went through my body and the the only player that's had fan support that's shot through my body like that in the stadium is Federer this week it was it wasn't quite at uh, mental superman onesie levels but it was of that ilk it's gonna get there it was of that ilk. Um, and you, you could certainly imagine... Him, I'm not saying I can imagine him being 20-time Grand Slam champion, greatest of all time, having David Foster Wallace write an article about watching him being a religious experience, but I can imagine him galvanising people behind himself and behind the sport in a Federer-esque way. He, he's got so much of lots of different people within him that will appeal to all sorts, I think. Yeah, how can he be so weird and u- unique and yet also so completely relatable? Yeah. Because there is nobody else on the planet like Stefanos Tsitsipas, for sure. There was nobody inside this stadium tonight, 17,000 people, that is remotely like Stefanos Tsitsipas. Apart and yet, from his dad. What? <laughs> who I sense yeah. is probably. A, the but I, I reckon his dad probably looks at him sometimes and goes, what How did want? that happen? What are you on about? <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? Um, and yet he's, he's relatable, which is, makes no sense, but it's, it's, that, it's one of those indefinable qualities, isn't it? Like making you care. He, which he's also got. Can we talk about their post match interviews on court? Yes, Both we can. First of all, dominant team. What a gentleman he oh. is. What a lovely man. Emphasis on gentle. Yeah. I mean, I always talk about the... I think the, <laughs> in him there is the biggest discrepancy between playing style and personality. Yeah. It just feels so wrong when he opens it. You've just seen him absolutely wallop a tennis ball like like he's made of anger. Yeah. And yet, I just, I literally can't imagine him ever getting angry about anything. And, and the, Maybe Chelsea losing. But. <laughs> he was so magnanimous. Oh, uh, even, and, and even remembered to pay tribute to Ali Nilly, the chair umpire, because it was his last 
last match officiating before touch. he becomes a supervisor. Yeah, that was just so classy. And he, he said to Stefanos, he said, you're an amazing player. And he said, this is a brutal sport. And he said it was the right result, which when you've lost a match, which has basically come down to a couple of points, and those points came down to a, a couple of centimetres, I think that's a really incredible thing to say in the moment actually mm. yeah and then, then Sitsipas's <laughs> speech I mean it was comedy gold he I was watching it it was stream of consciousness wasn't yeah it? we're halfway up the stadium here and we're looking down and this is where I stood watching him and the thing I started to figure out about 10 minutes into his speech on court because that's how long it felt like it was taking was that he was doing it while sort of walking around <laughs> he's just sort of walking around looking up all like he was in, addressing each individual person in the, in the stadium one at a time um, <laughs> and he, he was saying lovely things but none of them were sound bites none of them were kind of usable none of, at no point did the crowd know when to clap <laughs> no. <laughs> Annabelle Croft is hovering on the sidelines, yeah. not knowing when to step in to take the microphone from him. She didn't know when he was over. And actually, the point at which he was over was completely... It, was, it, was, it didn't end on a sort of no, big crescendo, of did mid, it? Mid-sentence. It was sort of just trailed off. <laughs> and, the, and the DJ, whoever it was, was waiting, hot finger hovering over the button to press the music to sort of end of speech. Nah, da, da, you know, and, and didn't know when it was going to come. Well, and then he did a, an interview for us on Prime also with Annabelle, and he said he was going to have some champagne tonight. The bloke that's been telling me to not drink alcohol all week. Yes, on the big screen. Although I, I sense that he was saying that because that's what you do when you win a massive because tournament. Because he famously said during the Labour Cup that he was forced to drink alcohol, yes, wasn't he? Yes, that's it. His, his biggest <laughs> title before this is a 250, ATP yeah. 250. This is a massive deal for him. Um, the, the one thing that I, I noticed you was talking about in the studio afterwards was that he was now planning to go and sort out his off-season. Uh, um, the, the only thing that yeah. slightly made me shudder about that is that that's exactly what Grigor Dimitrov did two years ago. Went straight into the off-season. And then when he came to, to Australia, he... His serve was a bit off, and he is going to have a holiday, though, isn't he? Yeah, Sits yeah. past, surely. I would, I would hope so, and I really hope for his sake that he just schedules his year like a Grand Slam champion in waiting, and not somebody who's just desperate to play as much as he can because he burns himself out this year, and he's so full of energy and emotion and passion and. And it means so much to him. You can't do that every week. And you don't need to do that every week either, do you? You don't need to be playing every week if you're that good. But what else would he do with himself? <laughs> well, he needs to find some hobbies. That don't what he's, yeah. He needs to do his podcast he's and his vlog. And, got, oh, yeah. But, but he'll know. just be watching it on the telly going, why am I there? <laughs> why am I not there? I want to be there. Oh, dear. Well, bless him. He, I mean, fantastic performance from and from both of them. They've been the story of this tournament, oh. and I'm chuffed that they were in the final. They've made the tournament, haven't they? Yeah. I think you'd, you'd say the Nadal sits a pass match, um, but apart from that, they've been involved in every great match. And they made uh, sorry, the Nadal Medvedev match made it one of the most memorable um, ATP finals we've ever had. One of the best. Yeah, and it was it was team against Federer. It was team. I mean, team against Federer was good, but team against Djokovic that made this tournament 
what it was, I think, yeah. And I know there's no logic to the fact that great matches seem contagious, but, I mean, there obviously is. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah. Um, thank you, Dominic. Team pumped for, everybody up. I think you know yeah. everybody was suddenly into it, and, and there was just a vibe in the place mm. as, a, as a result of that. It's been, it has been tremendous. It really has. The doubles was pretty cool too, oh. as a story. I mean, nobody can get near Pierre Ugabert and Nicola Mahu as Catherine jumps out of her skin with that uh, dropped uh, piece of wood, or whatever it was. Anyway, Pierre Ugabert. It was part of our studio, actually. <laughs> and Nicola Mahu um, have won their last nine matches and their last 18 sets of tennis. And they yeah, beat Raven I mean, Klassen just and Michael Venus today. By far the best doubles team in the world at the moment. Um, I know Cabal and Farah, uh, the world number one's not their best this tournament. Maybe, maybe a bit of burnout for them. They've had such an emotional season. Um, but I, I think the French at their best are the best doubles team. I mean... Uh, their speeches were lovely, but my my expectations of them were so high, I expected to be sobbing. So I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't say something completely gut-wrenchingly poignant. Uh, Pierre Huguet-Bed did seem to announce his engagement um, prematurely. I hope something was lost in translation. The look on his... Because the look on his face. Well, maybe wife to be. She looked very perplexed at what he was up to out there. What is he talking about? He said, I've I've been given the okay to announce this, and her face said, You haven't, mate. (laughs) (laughs) To be discussed. Um, So that was the highlight of their speeches. Um, I think maybe there was a deliberate sort of let's not make one another cry unspoken agreement because it could so easily and so quickly have gone down that road but they've said it all to one another yeah. in private we haven't know. they we know can it's you all, imagine it's, oh. it's written all over their faces the drama that's gone on uh, four grand slams they've won all four they've won seven of the nine masters 1000 just madrid and shanghai to go they've won olympic gold and now they've won atb finals yeah not much left to do Pretty other good, than keep doing it yeah yeah and uh They'll be part of the Davis Cup finals team mm. next week, won't they, uh, in France? So that's all to come. Um, now, just uh, one, one other point um, just before we, we join Matt. Uh, Nadal had an interview with you guys on mm. Amazon Prime today, which I just found utterly fascinating. He, uh, it was after he'd won, won or reached the world number one, wasn't it, for the end of the year, I think. And yes. The, the gist of it was he gave chapter and verse a really inside view on how low he'd got in the springtime. I think after Indian Wells, Miami, that period, um, and when he'd gone to Monte Carlo and he just wasn't right. And he said, I think he said, I went home, I decided to go home to Mallorca and I just felt like I needed to stop. I felt like I can't, I haven't got any energy for this anymore. I mean, these were really quite poignant and gut-wrenching words you know he looked like geez you know he might even be wondering whether this is it um and he and he 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 said something he changed he at that moment he decided to change his outlook and be positive about everything from that day forwards and everything changed you never hear nadal open up like that you really don't and that's a marker of the relief that he feels that having achieved this uh, fifth time is here at number one I mean I find I find of all of the top guys I find Nadal the hardest to interview not because I don't 
like him. I, I really, really do. I find him fantastically likeable. I just know that it kind of doesn't matter what I ask. He's, he's going to say his things. If he's, it's not that he's not honest and frank. You know, if he's, if he's not confident, he'll say he's not confident. But I kind of feel like I'm not going to be able to draw him on anything. Yeah. I'm not... It doesn't particularly matter if I if I really phrase my question well. I might I might get that different angle that someone else might not get. I kind of feel like all of that is doesn't come into play with Nadal. But um, he just completely opened up. He said he said it was Monte, the loss in Monte Carlo to Fanini. Yeah, he went back to uh, to Monaco and and considered considered calling a halt to the season talked about how his team sort of picked him up and helped him turn it around and then he he said he talked about Barcelona which would have been the next tournament that he'd played after Monte Carlo and this is a tournament that he's won 11 times and the flipping centre court is named after him there and he said he thought what am I doing here which is just an amazing quote absolutely amazing Um, and sometimes Sometimes I think we can take what the big three do for granted, that they can just walk onto a tennis court and be great. And yes, they do have something instinctive that sets them apart, but they also suffer like everybody else suffers, and they just, or they have up until now, figured it out and battled through, but nothing's a given. Absolutely nothing is a given. The gist that I was getting from that, was that the injuries were just wearing him down just Mm. making him feel I can't keep doing this I can't keep coming back from these injuries I mean oh this one's I'm just like like a bit of depression almost about about it all and we've seen that with Andy Murray we I think we saw it with Novak Djokovic when he had his sort of burnout period yeah I mean he talked about he he said uh, in Monte Carlo he was suffering with an infected thumb he must have just thought at that point you have got to be kidding me. My, I finally got my knees all right and I've, I've got an infected thumb. He must, I mean, he must have feelings of... The, univer- an- the universe doesn't want me to win tennis matches anymore. Are you having a laugh or what? Yeah. Yeah, he, he must... And he's ended yeah, the year incredible. number one in the world in the same year that all that happened. I mean, and the same year that he got that absolutely hammering from Djokovic in Australia. It's going to make him... It's going to make it very difficult for him to ever retire, isn't it? Because <laughs> he he must just feel now like there's nothing I can't come back from. What's going to be the thing that makes him think, oh, no, actually, this this is it now? Yes. Oh, what a week. He's going to have to... I don't know, he's already had his appendix out, hasn't he? <laughs> what more is there to go? It have to be something sort of not Tennessee. Let's stop speculating about what evil uh, illnesses could befall Rafael Nadal. Let's just keep him going as <laughs> long as possible. Keep him going, anyway, yeah. Catherine, it's been lovely, hasn't it? It's been good, this. Yeah, it's it, it exceeded my expectations. We've had a cracking week and we've had pods every day and they've been good, too, haven't they? At least a pod every day. Yeah, well, two in one day, one time. And uh, we haven't stopped yet because uh, we're going to carry on next week. And on that subject, well, Catherine, just to say, as a final thought, fantastic job this week uh, on the podcast. She's an am- if you, if you haven't seen her, face, she's an amazing TV presenter. I tell you, just just have a watch. Anyway, not biased at all. <laughs> put your feet up for 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 about ten hours, and then we'll do another <laughs> one of these. Um, but let's uh, let's let's say hello to Matt Roberts, shall we? 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Matt, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very well. A little um, a little wet. Madrid is wetter than I was expecting, is it? but I got here well, and I've just had my first day at the Magic Box. Wow. Is, is this your first time? Did you Have you ever been to the, the tournament itself, the, the Madrid Open? I haven't, no. I, I did live in Madrid for a few months, so it's, it is nice to be back, but I didn't, I didn't overlap with the tournament, so my first, first experience on site. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that about the weather because I saw pictures today of the, the British team who it looked like had gone and visited the Bernabeu mm. um, and all of them were wearing massive coats. You know, they, they were all seriously wrapped up. How, how, what sort of temperatures are we talking about? Uh, well, it was just below 10 degrees today and raining. And actually, that is a definite factor, the weather here, because... As much as it is an indoor event in terms of the tennis, for the actual fans, the lots of the food stalls and kind of activities that they've laid on are pretty much outside um, because it's not a fully enclosed arena. The stadiums are indoors, but the rest of the stuff is all basically exposed to the elements a little bit. It's undercover, but the wind chill definitely gets in. So... That is an interesting situation in itself, the fact that this event is taking place in in November in a city in altitude and fans fans might be a little chilly. Yeah. So if you are attending, I, I suggest wrapping up. <laughs> have, have we sent you with the appropriate thermals, Matt? <laughs> um, I didn't pack my biggest coat and I am regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they do, they do coats apparently in Madrid. So yes. uh, the, there's one on there's one on the tennis podcast for you there if you <laughs> <laughs> if you need one. Um, it's it's interesting, isn't it, to to see this venue out of season? I know you haven't been to the tournament itself, but that takes place in May. 
It's a clay court event in May. Now they've stuck down a, a green, a deep green court, haven't they, with grey mm. surrounds. It looks a little bit like the, the Paris Indoor tournament in terms of the, the visual. It, is that about right? Would you, would you yep, agree with that? that's exactly it. And yeah. the, I asked some of the players today about how they thought it was playing in terms of the speed. And the general consensus is that it's a kind of medium, fast court. It, the balls are flying because of the altitude but the actual court is maybe a little bit grippy so perhaps not quite as fast as we've seen in London but certainly certainly reasonably quick mm, yeah it's quite an interesting one isn't it because Madrid obviously being a clay court tournament but it is the one that the players that can hit through the court tend to do better on I mean we've we've been watching Stefano Tsitsipas isn't isn't that that's where he beat Nadal isn't it um, yeah, it is. And uh, Dominic Team as well has beaten Nadal there before. Uh, Kyle Edmund had a good good result there last year, I think. Maybe he made the quarters or semis. So it definitely does favour the kind of players with a, with a big game. Yeah, I can imagine it might even be a little bit similar to Indian Wells, where the air is thin in Indian Wells, but yet the actual court surface itself, they always say, is a little grippy and gritty. And I know that Andy Murray in the past has, has struggled there. So it's just going to be very interesting, isn't it? Because these are, are new circumstances. I mean, before we get on to much of... Uh, I know you've been to some of the press conferences today. What about the... the since your arrival there, what has the, the scene been like? I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of question marks over, over this event, over the decision to bring it to Madrid and to make it into a, a year-end finals as opposed to the traditional home and away. How big a deal does it feel there upon arrival? Um, it feels like a much bigger deal than it did when I was in Lille last year for the Davis Cup final, which was obviously between just two teams, France and Croatia. There was barely any advertising about that in the city. You wouldn't really have known it was going on, to be honest. However, the Davis Cup finals here in Madrid are noticeable because they there's a lot of advertising i use the metro to get from my hotel to the magic box and at almost every station there's lots of branding and signs about it and they've also done quite a cool feature of putting player names and the country's flag on the metro stops uh, so you you see kind of uh, Taylor Fritz and Riley Apelka's names up there. Kind of kind of caught me out. I was I was looking out closely for the stop I needed to get, and suddenly I, I thought, hang on a minute, am I at stop Philip Kohlschreiber? <laughs> um, but th- then I've cottoned on to the fact that this was just just their their advertising of it. So it's definitely it definitely feels bigger than in previous years in terms of the actual city itself it's in it quite an interesting tactic that i mean does it literally just say philip kohlschreiber or is <laughs> is there something else next to it i because i mean you know, know how many people know these know. people are it, it literally says the the players surnames and their flag and um there's kind of four so one person from each team is actually left out <laughs> so as i <laughs> as i came home i was um I was looking at the Colombian squad and there was Farah, but there was no Cabal. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite yeah. funny. Well, good, good, full marks for effort, anyway, yes. um, for, for actually going out into the city and, and putting some, some notices up uh, about the event. I mean, I, that, is, that is always something that I look for and hope mm. to see. Um, 
it's in terms of of the actual site itself does 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 everything feel ready for this event because this starts tomorrow yeah uh yes it does they were putting up little bits of um advertising still and a few kind of directions to get people to move move through the grounds freely but having having been to queens kind of that's the event where i'm on site earliest it always it always amazes me at queens kind of how much there is still to do in the last in the last week and it always it always gets done and it, it's always pristine there and it was looking very ready i thought to to host this event tomorrow mm, yeah yeah and we've had over the last couple of days i we had here catherine was alluding to it on the podcast i think yesterday or the day before the, the quotes of alexander zverev talking about why he's not in this event he and being very specific about him liking the tradition of the home and away, and and he's felt that all along. Um, and he spoke very passionately and pretty eloquently. I thought about it, and it, I mean, it's almost as though he was talking about sort of he was doing it on principle, mm. um, which which I've I found interesting. And actually, you know, if if there is a reason to do it, that's that's the right reason. I think um, if if you really don't believe in it, I mean, I I personally wish he didn't feel like that because it. I think that this sort of event is needed within tennis. I was reading Mike Dixon's piece in the Mail today talking about what we've constantly talked about, about making the team event the fifth slam and having it over a longer period of time, having women involved as well so that it's, you know, it's a team slam. Um, and, and, that, and that's what he wrote. I noticed Andy Murray spoke to Eleanor Crooks of Press Association and, and was saying, look, he feels that some people out there want this thing to fail and he doesn't feel like that okay maybe it will work maybe it won't we'll have to see but he wants to give it a chance what what is the prevailing sort of feel that you get from the the press conferences you've been to today well i attended leighton hewitt's press conference leighton hewitt and um and the other captains from his group he was with the captains from belgium and colombia and leighton hewitt has been one of the most outspoken against the format um, and Eleanor Crooks actually put the question to him in the press conference saying, how do you feel about it now that you're here and on site? And he said, look, nothing yet has convinced me otherwise. Um, I feel like the Davis Cup has, has lost its two points of difference, that being the home and away ties and the best of five sets. Uh, so he still feels strongly about that and is disappointed about that. And yet he's here he loves representing his country, even in a captain's capacity, and he wants to give it a chance. And that really is the approach that I prefer. I agree. I thought I thought Zverev did speak very, very well on the subject, but I, I do find it slightly disappointing that some players have kind of written it off before it's even started. Almost the kind of so they can perhaps say, "Oh, I told you so," kind of thing. But really, if everyone was putting their all into this event it it might grow into a really good event if if some people are kind of automatically ruling it out already then it's it's got less chance to succeed yeah and i I do feel that zverev's diluted his point somewhat by what he said a year ago about the season length and then using this particular week to go and play half a dozen exhibitions with roger federer in south america yeah absolutely Um, and I think the main thing about this event is that it 
you know, the reason they have changed it is because they want it to be bigger. They they do believe they are doing the right thing. Um, and actually, I was reading a, an interesting interview with Gerard Piquet in El País, which is one of the newspapers here. And he was saying that actually his vision for this event came to him while he was playing for Spain in the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And he had quite a lot of downtime during that tournament. And he just thought, why can't the Davis Cup have the same status as the FIFA World Cup in football? Um, and then obviously since then, it's been a long process to get to the stage we're in now. And now it feels a little bit like a plunge into the unknown. But, you know, deep down, I do think PK, Cosmos and the people who've come up with this event do want the best for tennis. There are just so many conflicting interests and visions about what that looks like but this is one route and let's see how it goes and and pk does talk about it possibly taking us up to kind of five years to be able to see how successful it is whether because that means more fans will know about it um the players will decide whether it is something that they can do in their calendar that kind of thing so as much as we'll get an idea from this first edition Equally, maybe we do need to think long term and give it two or three goes before really judging it. Yeah, uh, as you say, a plunge into the unknown and a plunge into the unknown that's complicated by the fact that the ATP Cup starts in a few weeks' time and it's so mm. similar on paper. However, that's uh, those are the tennis politics yet again. Um, let's talk about the actual tennis and the people that you've seen today. Who, who else has been into the press conferences today? I mean, is it has it been busy there today? I mean, obviously we, it overlaps with with what we've got here going on at, in the O2 Arena at the ATP Finals. Yeah, the media center is quite large. There's kind of three main rooms for the journalists to work in. So there's, I think they're expecting quite a lot of media, but not many are here yet. I think because so many are still in London and no doubt hot-footing it over tomorrow morning. Um, but there were press conferences with uh, captains from five of the six groups. The one group that they didn't do was uh, Group C with Argentina, Germany and Chile because of Nicolas Massou still being in London. Uh, but all the other captains spoke and a few of the teams were introduced as well. Um and yeah, given that there weren't that many media there, I, I managed to kind of go and ask questions and clean up in, in a way. Um, Excellent. So tell, tell us who you, who you spoke to and what, what sort of things interested you. What did you ask and what did you hear that was of interest? Yeah, so the, one of the main stories is Daniil Medvedev has pulled out um, for Russia uh, and the, the Russian captain Shamil Tarpishev, who spoke through his translator but he said that he he spoke to Medvedev immediately after the Zverev match at the O2 and Medvedev had made clear his decision then to not play but Tarpishev said well hang on this could be a heat of the moment decision let's let's speak again in 24 hours but Medvedev still came to the same decision saying that he just doesn't feel like he's up to the required standard at the moment um given what we've spoken about all week, really, about how, how he does appear to have lost his age and his form. Uh, so that does weaken the the Russian team, although they still have Rublev and Hachinov. Um And actually that group as well is interesting because that's a group with Spain and with Croatia. It's kind of the headline group, really. 
Wow, what a group. Yeah, and Croatia are significantly weakened because Marin Cilic is out, their talisman um, is not playing. And rather bizarrely, at the press conference, um, turned turned out that Franco Skugor was the captain, which kind of caught everyone by surprise because he's... No, is that Franco or is that Victor? Because I remember <laughs> us having this out with Catherine. She, we, we, we're still not quite sh- quite sure what I he's called. Confirmation that it's Franco. Okay, with a K. Um, <laughs> I shall pass it on. But yeah, he was sitting there in the captain's chair. So I basically said to him, "What are you doing here? Um, <laughs> where's Where's Zelko Kryan, the kind of inspirational leader that was that was Croatia's captain last year? Of course, they're the, they're the defending champions." Um, and Skugor said that he's filling in because there are some issues between Kryan and the Croatian Federation and the players are actually on the side of the Federation. Um, he didn't want to go into too many details, but essentially I think the problem is that Skugor said that being Davis Cup captain is not a one-week thing and the players don't necessarily think that Kryan has been fulfilling his duties throughout the year because he's got responsibilities with other players that he coaches and they didn't feel it was right for him to be the captain. So it's a last minute last minute switch for Croatia. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a quite an interesting story. Yeah, I mean I know he he is he has he coaches Polona Herzog mm. on the WTA tour and has he's in a relationship with her. I think they're married actually. Um but uh, yeah, I didn't know about that. Crikey, that's that's quite an interesting one. So so who ends up in the Croatian team then in that case if Cilic is not? Uh, so they've still got uh, Pavic and Mektic and Dodic and Chorić and then a, a young player has come in who has never played Davis Cup. I can't quite remember his surname, but he's, he's also called Borna. Um, so, you know... Still quite a strong team actually but, when you consider the doubles and Chorić. Exactly, and that is the kind of one of the big points about this new format is that in previous Davis Cup ties, the doubles has been worth 20%. It's been one of the five ties, whereas the format here is two singles and a double. So it's it's elevated the status of, of doubles. So I do think that is going to play a pretty crucial role over the week. Oh, that, that's interesting. And, w- and which rubber is the doubles? The doubles the is the third. Um, okay. So it's it's likely to be a decider in quite a lot of situations, and they will play all the doubles in the groups um, because there are six groups of three, um, and the six group winners go through, and the two best place runners up also go through to the quarterfinals. So that means that sets and games are all all counted and all important. So the doubles. Oh right! So we, we're, yeah, I know, oh no, Matt, I know. we're going back it's to round again. robin and numbers again. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, you, you look at a team like like the US who who were impressed today, and obviously Jack Sock has had a pretty miserable year, but you would still count him as one of the best doubles players in the world. And US are in a tough group with Italy and Canada, but if they can sneak a singles win and then have Jack Sock maybe with a big server like a Pelka or Query. They could be really, you know, they could be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! It's, and w- within these matches, these are best of three set matches, and are they standard sort yeah. of tiebreak yeah. sets? Yeah, so three tiebreak sets, um, all best of three, and um, yeah. So it's the group stages are Monday to Thursday, 
And there's also one of the quarterfinals on Thursday and then the rest of the quarterfinals on Friday, semis on Saturday and the final on Sunday. Oh, it's it's going to be very interesting. I mean, you know, I, I have an open mind to it, always have. Um, we have problems with it because of the of the, the ATP Cup and the time in the calendar and all that. But I am now pretty excited about watching it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm interested, I'm interested sort of how they dress everything because I, I think they may... Am I right in thinking they're making quite a big play of national colours? They are, yes. Um, and actually, that was something Leon Smith spoke about in his press conference, that he thinks the setup has been really brilliant. He's had positive feedback from his team, his players, you know, good, good practice conditions, good transportation. And in particular, what I think everyone is impressed by is that they've given all 18 teams a 100-square-foot locker room each, um, which you can kind of see in the kind of far end of the complex. And they've all got their flags on top of the kind of porter cabins that these locker rooms are. So they've all got their own space and they're all all dressed in their own colours. So it, it does create very much a kind of, you know, a good a good vibe and it, and it, and it looks vibrant. Um, so, yeah, I think from that standpoint, they've got, They've got everything right. There are there are some concerns about the ticket sales. Um, the the Spain's round robin matches are sold out, and the opening opening session tomorrow between um, Croatia and Russia, the first match on the stadium court, is pretty much sold out. However, the the sales for a lot of the other ties, uh, frankly, are not great. Um, so hopefully, they might pick up in the next few days. And we will get some good atmospheres, but that that is probably the main concern at the moment that we could be playing yeah. we could be playing in a twelve thousand seater stadium with it being a quarter, a third full, and that that isn't mm-hmm. going to look great or perhaps lead to the kind of atmosphere that that we associate with the Davis Cup. Yeah, I think one of the keys probably will be to try to get those people as close to the court as possible, and mm. and to have crowds. You know, even even if there's just like a singing section where yeah. there is a noisy group, you know, I saw that from from France in the Fed Cup final. You know, they 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 made a noise, um, and there weren't that many of them. So, um, but anyway, you know, we're just gonna have to wait and see, aren't we? Uh, a- anybody else been in today that was was uh, that you spoke to of interest? Uh, Novak Djokovic arrived. Oh, he, he's quite interesting. He's quite significant, yeah. Uh, and interestingly, he said his. His hit today at the Magic Box was the first time he'd played since going out to Federer in London. Um, And he was obviously asked about his elbow and he said no issues. Um, He was fine. And I asked him whether he thought the new format has elevated the importance of the event in his own mind. Uh, Because obviously we've spoken so much about how he's peaking for the slams these days. Where does he see the new Davis Cup? And in a roundabout way, he basically said that, yes, it has elevated it because it's always an honour, a privilege to play for Serbia. And this just makes it that bit more possible for him. He says it's easier, even though it's the end of the season, he thinks it's easier to commit to one week than it is four weeks like it used to be, four weekends anyway. Um, So therefore, he feels like he should be competing and therefore it is more important to him. And, Mm. And I think... I think the fact that he's won the Davis Cup in the other format, you know, it'd be interesting to see now whether he can win it in this format where lots of the top players are playing. Yeah, yeah, it will be very interesting. 
Okay, Matt, anything else before we let you go and uh, get some rest up? Because you've got a busy old week coming up. It is busy, yes. Uh, all the matches start tomorrow at four. Is there, there's no morning session tomorrow because there's the opening ceremony with uh, uh, the multi-platinum Norwegian-British artist, DJ and producer Alan Walker headlining the opening ceremony. Oh. So it turns out I've got kind of, you know, free tickets to an Alan Walker, who I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> is he in the but, Urban Dictionary? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, well, I looked him up and he wears, he wears a hood and a face mask on stage. Oh, my word. Yeah, he's quite scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Well, uh, we'll have to look out for that. Well, I'm, I can't wait for the, 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 the story of his, of his arrival tomorrow. You'll have to tell me all about that on the podcast and, and then it's And then it's Shakira... PK's wife uh, to to close the to close the event, um, and actually that is something that PK had spoke about in that interview I mentioned. How he he you know it's the kind of festival of tennis he's going for, and there is going to be quite a lot of out you know other stuff going on other than the tennis. There is going to be music. There is going to be events to try and enhance the fan experience. Mm. Oh, it's, mm. it's good. I'm looking forward to it anyway, I and mean, we'll see how it is. Um, we'll. You know, we'll we'll give it to you as we find it. Basically, um, Matt's going to be there all week long. Uh, Catherine and myself will will come on with Matt and and chat about what we see on the TV, and Matt can give us the 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 lowdown from the ground. That's the idea of him being there. He's going to go to all these press conferences, as you heard. He's been chucking questions in the direction of Novak Djokovic today. That's brilliant, <laughs> um, which is amazing, really, isn't it? You consider eighteen months ago, you're still still student Matt, yeah, and then you became grad Matt, and now here you are. It's pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah, it is. Right. Okay, go and rest up, Matt. Uh, we will be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow and all the way through the Davis Cup by records and finals in Madrid over the course of the next week. Um, we're produced in association with The Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com. Our mascot is Rio with a Y. And, uh, yeah, we've got another good week of pods coming, coming your way. I hope you've enjoyed everything we did at the ATP finals. We certainly had a blast. Um, if you would like to get our newsletter one will be going out in a couple of days time scroll down on your show notes and you'll be able to see how to do that there's also details for tennis podcast live if you want to express your interest in that and entering the ballot and also don't forget we're going to be kick-starting crowdfunding our 2020 season from december the 2nd so if you want to have a reminder about that on the day and the link sent to you just the, the one email um and if you like the show and you want it to carry on next year and be you know bigger and better than ever we're looking to send matt all over the place to every slam and uh, and we want to be there too so that's the plan um thanks for your company on this edition of the tennis podcast and we'll see you tomorrow hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Acast and Befeller. Oh. 
Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmagle.